You're listening to Mount Carmel Baptist Church's weekly Sunday worship service message at 11 a.m. Mount Carmel is located in Demarest, Georgia. To learn more, visit mtcarmeldemarest.com or facebook.com forward slash mtcarmeldemarest. Thanks for listening. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 15. We're concluding our series, Understanding God's Will. And today's sermon title is The Muzzle. The Muzzle. People will often go to great lengths to avoid paying taxes. But the recent case of a Christian family in Tasmania, Australia, takes things to a whole new level. According to a report by ABC Australia, Christian missionaries and siblings, uh, Fanny and Rembertus Barraput, failed to pay an estimated $651,000 in income tax and other charges in 2017. The Biraput family said that they had not paid the sum because doing so, quote, goes against God's will. Justice Holt asked them during the proceedings, if you can't find me a passage in scripture or gospel that says, thou shalt not pay tax, then can you see I have a difficulty from your starting point? In fact, if you know the Gospels, Jesus actually says, pay your taxes, render unto Caesar's, unto Caesar's what is Caesar's. Stories like this make me cringe. They contribute to cultures increasing hostility to Christianity. While they are extreme examples, many Christians, including myself, We hand unbelievers reasons not to believe the loving message of Jesus Christ. That is not God's will. The early church was under immense scrutiny and criticism. Rumors and false accusations abounded. Christians were accused of being disloyal to the Roman Empire and to Caesar. They were accused of purposefully hurting the business enterprises of cities and of being godless because they didn't buy the idols. The Apostle Peter writes to Christians to tell them what to do in the midst of a cultural climate that was hostile toward them. Let's look at what it says in 1 Peter chapter 2. We're looking at verse 15. Again, we have another explicit reference to what is God's will for our lives. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 15. For it is God's will that you silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. You silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. The foolish people here are critical unbelievers who in ignorance speak badly about Christians and defame the name of Jesus. If you are a follower of Christ, a genuine Christian, you will have critics too. Unbelievers are watching you and some are looking for you to mess up. 
God wants every single one of us to live right for the fame of His great name. To silence unbelievers from slandering the name of Jesus. The word silence here is more literally to muzzle. To put a muzzle on them. Now please understand this. I am not advocating that we literally go shut them up. (laughs) No, (laughs) people went, yeah, yeah. Notice how we muzzle them. Look in the text. We muzzle them how? Say it loud, church. Doing good. Here's the big idea I want you to write down from this text that we're going to explore this morning. God's will is that you muzzle unbelievers by doing good. God's will is that you muzzle unbelievers by doing good. Now the question becomes this. What do we do good? How do we do good? What good are we supposed to do? How do we do good? Now you've got to look at the rest of the context, the verses before and the verses after 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 15. Let's start in verse 13. Are you ready? You're not going to like it. You ready? Submit to every human authority because of the Lord. Whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to the governors as those sent out by him to punish those who do what is evil and to praise those who do what is good. Now, the rest of the verse. For it is God's will that you silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. Submit as free people, not using your freedom as a cover up for evil, but as God's slaves. Honor everyone. Love the brothers and sisters. Fear God. Honor the emperor. A couple of things here that's so amazing. And I want you to go ahead and write this first point down and then I'll share this with you. Number one, allow authorities to direct aspects of your life. Allow authorities to direct aspects of our lives. I want to highlight a couple of things in this definition that I've given to you here about submission, allowing authorities to direct aspects of our life. I want you to see, first, I want you to see it as aspects. No authority figure in in Scripture is given the, the power to direct every aspect of our life. Okay, And the reason I think the Bible doesn't give any one person to direct every aspect of our life is because, one, not every person can be trusted to direct every aspect of our life. Okay, And here's the reason why. There's only one person that can direct every aspect of our life. Who is that? God Himself, Jesus Christ. Jesus is King of kings, Lord of lords. He's the authority on authorities. So the Lordship all belongs to Jesus. We do everything that Jesus wants us to do. Only God is worthy of that kind of submission. But I need you to notice this. Every other authority has come from on loan from Him. He's delegated some of His authority out into the world. And so when we submit or we allow others to direct aspects of our lives, even when we're submitting to them, we're ultimately submitting to who? Jesus, because of the Lord. That is why we fear God. We have a healthy reverence of respect for Jesus so that it will lead us to obedience 
and to life and to joy. But only Jesus directs every aspect of our lives, but he has delegated some authorities to direct certain aspects of our lives. I also want to highlight the word allow. Notice verse 16 one more time. Submit as free people. Submission, when we talk about the word submit, it is a choice. It's a decision you have to make on a regular basis. When we look at this text, it is not subjugation or coercion. We choose to obey this command. Peter teaches us that we have freedom because Christ has forgiven us and repurchased us by His blood. We are Jesus' slaves. We do His will and His bidding. But what is Jesus commanded here? Submit to these other authorities. So we don't do it begrudgingly. We do it as slaves of Jesus who've gained freedom through the blood of Jesus and we go and we live our lives under others' direction because that's what Jesus wants. We do not use our freedom to be insubordinate, to create chaos, to sin freely. Instead, we use our freedom to please Jesus, to do good and live orderly lives. Church, this is awesome. You are free to do good. You're free to do good. It also means when we allow this to happen, we don't do it with an attitude, kicking and screaming and complaining all the way. We do it with an honoring attitude as unto the Lord. We're not submitting if under our breath we say to ourselves, I don't like being treated as a doormat. And I understand people can abuse power. I get that. They can take advantage of us. But we'll talk about the assignment, the job we have the policy that we think is stupid, right? We'll do all of that. At the same time, we have to recognize with gentleness and respect, this authority, this policy, this assignment, this job might actually be God's will for you to be doing with a smile on your face, to enjoy it. This does not mean it will be easy. Submission, allowing others to direct our lives. Submission is difficult. I want you to think about this when we read this. At the year of Peter's writing this epistle, the emperor was a man named Nero. According to church tradition, church tradition maintains that Peter was martyred in Rome under Emperor Nero. Did you catch this? He says, honor Nero. And then just shortly, later on, perhaps 10 to 30 years, not in a long span, what? Nero takes his life. And he says, honor the king, honor the emperor. So what kind of authority should you and I be obeying? What kind of authority should we allow into our lives and to direct certain aspects? Let me just give you a couple of things that you can take with you. Number one, Christians should pay their taxes. I just want to make sure it's explicit and it's clear. Now I understand we live in a democracy and we get some say in how our taxes are spent. Thank God. But ultimately, the Bible implores us to pay taxes. And think about that. I, when I talked about Jesus, render unto Caesar's what is Caesar's, they were living under Roman occupation. This was not somebody they enjoyed paying taxes to. But Jesus commanded his followers to do it nonetheless. Follow the laws of the land. Can I tell you something that I thought of this week? Can we, can we just be honest? Have you ever asked God, like, God, would you just give me a sign? You know, just... 
let me, tip me off that I'm doing the right thing with my life. And then I thought about this. If God has all authority, and then God has delega delegated authority to governments, to the government institution, the state, then, I'll, then, I, then this hit me. <laughs> and I'm not judging you because trust me, I am not perfect in this area. But every time you get in your car and you drive down the road and you see a speed limit, that's a sign from God. You drive past signs from God all the time. The policies, the descriptions, the jobs. And I'm, again, can, can authorities, human authorities, be abusive? Absolutely. There is a place for civil disobedience. Peter does it. We must obey God rather than man. He says that also in Acts chapter 4. When they tell him, don't preach in Jesus' name, he's going, oh, sorry, it's going to happen. But I want you to notice this. Anytime anybody's directing us to do something that's not unethical or unbiblical, we need to look at that as a sign from God. It's God's will. Christians should act ethically in the workplace. We should speak and live the truth. We don't steal time. We make friends with non-Christians while, while not underestimating the temptation. We do work with excellence to bring glory to God. And as you have the opportunity, speak the gospel explicitly. Have spiritual conversations. Pray for your co-workers. You can muzzle critical unbelievers in your workplace by doing good. There is also a kind of mutual submission. I believe in Christian marriage. Remember, this is submission. It's not subjugation or coercion. But husbands, you sacrifice for your wives. Wives, you allow your husbands to lead. And I'm not asking you to submit to someone, even your spouse, who asks you to disobey God. Often, Mandy and I, we work collaboratively, collaboratively and very rarely do I cast the one and only vote. But there's submission even in marriage. And I think marriage can be a witness to a critical unbelievers when they see a God-honoring, Christ-centered marriage. And then let me talk to the children and students. I know parents are like, please get to them. Honor your father and mother and those whom God has placed as authorities over you. Your obedience to your parents and respect for teachers, principals, coaches... It's not blind obedience. God didn't just say, I want you doing stuff. The Bible assumes that the directions that those authorities give you are either biblical or they come with the wisdom of age. So have a proper attitude. Don't huff, puff, talk back. Obey and honor them unto Jesus. Even the smallest child can silence unbelievers. The second thing I want you to see here is in verse 17, just the very first part. Honor everyone. Write that down. Honor everyone. Here is a beautiful thing. Biblical Christianity, because I know it can be distorted, assigns dignity and worth to every human being. From conception all the way to the grave. Black, white, rich, poor, slave, free. All are precious in His sight. Every human being has intrinsic value because they were created in the image of God whether or not they believe in Jesus. They're God's creation. 
This means you and I must honor and respect everyone regardless of their religion, their gender, their sexuality, their race, their abilities, and then the big one, even their politics. Remember, what's the two things you don't talk over dinner? Religion and politics. In 21st century, that's moved from the dinner table to the digital table. You want to pick a fight in our world? Go post something crazy on social media and just watch. One Christian social commentator wrote, It seems important today that we expand our idea of neighbor to the digital space as well. Even loving our digital enemies. Your online actions are as revealing as your real life ones are. Whoa, it's the truth. How, many think, how, how much disrepute have we brought on the name of Christ, the gospel, and the church because of something stupid we've posted online? We think it's just fake. No, people are getting impressions of who Jesus is and who the church is by what you post. Some of us are savage on social media. All the while, Christian and Christ follower is in our bio. If you're going to be savage, take it off and find another church. But we've got to be concerned not just about the dinner table, but even the digital table. Everybody deserves honor. The third thing here we see, love the brothers and sisters. Three, love the brothers and sisters. My sincere prayer for Mount Carmel, and I believe Mount Carmel is a loving church, and I'm not just telling you that because I'm, a, I'm your pastor. But I hope we excel and we increase all the more in our love for one another. I continue to pray for Mount Carmel that God would help us to humble ourselves and love and forgive one another. I keep, I'm holding out hope that for some of you who haven't talked to each other in years, one day you'll lay down your arms, you'll go humble to one another, and you'll extend forgiveness to one another and be reconciled. I share this with you. This, this communion, this meal, we tend to think of it, and I always remind you, in just vertical sense. This is about me and my personal relationship with Jesus. The Bible knows of no such theology. It's always vertical and horizontal. What I mean by that, there is a relational dimension to this table. God did not just save you. He saved the bride, the body, the church, the person sitting next to you. And you cannot say, I love God and hate my brother. And biblical hatred begins at neglect. First John tells us this, that if we have the world's goods and we see a brother or sister in need and we close our hearts to them, how does the love of God remain in us? He says it doesn't. It's a rhetorical question. It doesn't. So you cannot sit here and say everything's right between me and God and yet there's someone sitting in this room that you know you have offense towards or you've not extended forgiveness towards. That's what it means to take this in an unworthy fashion. Go back and read 1 Corinthians 11. Read it in its whole context. What were the Corinthians church doing that caused God's discipline and temporal judgment on the church? It wasn't because there was some heinous sin against God. They literally couldn't wait on one another to eat. The rich would get fat and the poor would starve. And Paul goes, where's the love? And you're going to sit down to share a meal? You've missed the point. So the 
point of this meal is not just about our love for God, but it encompasses our love for our neighbor, especially those of the household of faith, your brothers and sisters. How is your love toward the family of God? I often cite this. If you're new to Mount Carmel, I need you to know this is a part of the rhythms here. When it comes to communion, while I want you to come down to the altar to prepare your heart to partake in a worthy manner, some of us, before coming down the aisle, need to go across the aisle. We need to go embrace somebody. We need to go pull them, take them to the back. You're never going to offend me to grab somebody and go to the foyer. Go to my office. I don't care. Find a space where you can go, look, I've had this against you, and I've got to let it go. And I have to, know, I have to let you know as your pastor, warn you, you can drink and eat God's judgment on your life. Not just with respect to how is your relationship with him. How is your relationship with your brothers and sisters that are sitting in this sanctuary with you right this second? Make sure your mind is clear, your conscience is clear, your heart is filled with love for one another. In Peter's day, many in the Roman Empire looked at Christian gatherings as a preparation for a treasonous movement. The Roman governor of one area in which the Christians to whom Peter wrote lived, his name, the governor's name, was Pliny. These Christians that Peter's writing to were men, women, masters, slaves, rich, poor, Jews, and Gentiles meeting together, all together, before dawn to worship God because once daylight came, they'd have to get back to work. Early in the second century, the Roman governor Pliny writes a letter, this is historical, to update Emperor Trajan, this is after Nero, about a situation in, uh, in his jurisdiction. Critical unbelievers were accusing Christians of high crimes. So Pliny called in Christians before his judgment seat. After calling before him various Christian men and women, Torturing some to obtain a confession, Pliny wrote the following to Emperor Trajan. You can look it up. He says this. Here's what he said about the Christians. They bond themselves with an oath, not in criminal conspiracy, but to abstain from fraud, robbery and violence and adultery, to commit no breach of trust and not to default on a deposit. He says, that's what they're getting together to do. <laughs> he says that he discovers from some women called ministers or servants that they meet together before dawn, they sing hymns to Christ as God, and they partake of a simple meal. What is Pliny showing us? He's showing us Christians who muzzle critical unbelievers. They met together and they did good. This is God's will for us. We muzzle unbelievers by doing good. While we desperately desire to know God's unique will for our own lives, if we fail to submit to the authorities that God has already placed over us, why would we submit to any further direction from God about our own personal lives? Thanks for listening to Mount Carmel Baptist Church's weekly Sunday worship service message. Mount Carmel is located in Demarest, Georgia. Please join us this Sunday at 11 a.m. To plan your visit, go to mtcarmeldemarest.com.